Hi, everybody. Welcome to GradCast, the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students. Uh, I'm your host, Ariel Frame. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Adrian Bory. Hello. Uh, and we have behind the soundboard our producer, Susan Anthony. Hey, what's up? Um, uh, let me just go ahead and start and introduce our guest, Amy Burke. How you doing? I'm good. Good. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you here. Um, so we discussed at the beginning a little bit about your work. Um, let's get right into it. Why don't you um, give us a little introduction to what you're doing as a grad, stu- grad student here at Western? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a PhD student. I'm in biochemistry. Um, so my project is actually looking at natural a natural compound you find in citrus fruit. It's called naringenin. Um, and it's predominantly found in grapefruit. Um, so I'm looking at it as a therapeutic uh, for cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So I'm looking at whether you can intervene after someone already has these diseases with this compound. Most studies look at whether you can prevent disease. So this is a little more relatable to humans, I think. Maybe more like applicable because, I mean, how many people... Yeah, mm-hmm. most people are not treated from birth for cardiovascular disease. <laughs> <laughs> Although, um, you know, preventative medicine sounds nice. Uh, yes. Not everyone is uh, that good at looking that far in the future and preventing it. And then yes, eventually exactly. they get it and, like, and what I mean, can you do? I mean, exactly. And as well, like, um, cost-effective-wise, that would be rather expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. So could you tell us a little bit about the mice that you work with, the LDLR knockout mice? So we work with the mouse model and we use the LDL receptor knockout mouse because actually most mice don't develop cardiovascular disease. So this mouse is genetically modified to not have the LDL receptor. And this is the receptor that clears your LDL cholesterol from your blood. So therefore they build up cholesterol and then this um, accelerates uh, cardiovascular disease in these mice. Um, maybe for those uh, who aren't that familiar, can, uh, can you maybe tell us um, more about what LDL is and why LDL is different from maybe something I've heard of called HDL? Uh, uh, so, yeah, sure. So LDL is the protein or molecule that delivers cholesterol to the other parts, so to your body. So this is to mostly like through, um, through the vasculature, through to your cells. So a lot of cells need cholesterol to make their, or to maintain their membranes as well as um, you produce a lot of steroids from, or steroid hormones um, from cholesterol. HDL cholesterol is your good cholesterol, so it actually takes cholesterol away from these, and it's for excretion out of the body. So if you have a buildup of lots of cholesterol in the bloodstream, it kind of ends up getting deposited in places you don't want it. Like your blood vessels. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, you have this mouse that somehow isn't able to manage its LDL very well? Yes, exactly. So we actually feed it a high-fat, high-cholesterol diet. So we call it, it's kind of like akin to like the McDonald's diet, um, but it's actually modeled on the standard American diet. So it's 42% of the calories come from fat. <laughs> so oh, it's wow. actually not that great for you, but it's the standard American diet. Is there a chance you're insinuating that the standard <laughs> diet recommended isn't necessarily that good? I wouldn't say that this is the recommended diet. It's what most people eat. (laughs) And so uh, you're feeding them this high-fat diet that's not very good for them. They're already um, uh, at a a bit of a loss because they have this problem with their LDL uh, receptor, the knockout. And uh, and so, but you have an intervention, um, this uh, neurogen? Naringenin. Naringenin, sorry. 
Uh, so yeah, so we want them to have, um, they want, we want them to get basically get fat and develop um, type 2 diabetes and um, cardiovascular disease. And then we want to intervene with this molecule. So we actually add this molecule to their food as a proportion of their diet. And it's um, kind of a high proportion, but it's 3% of their diet. But that's because um, in mice, it's actually absorbed less than humans. I, that actually kind of makes me think of two questions. Um, one, um, does that change whether they like eating what they're eating? Uh, and two, if you didn't do all these manipulations, like do do mice get type 2 diabetes? And what is type 2 diabetes in a mouse? Uh, so mice actually don't typically get type 2 diabetes, but they will if you feed them this diet. Um, basically, type 2 diabetes is when you can't regulate your blood glucose um, correctly. So you end up with high blood glucose, which can cause negative effects on all kinds of cell types. Um what was the first part of the question? Um, basically, I mean, I said it in different words, but basically, do mice like grapefruit? And oh, yeah. <laughs> so, actually, the molecule that we were working on is actually found mostly in the pith of grapefruits, and it's actually the bitter part that people don't like. Oh. <laughs> so, we actually actually have to slowly integrate it into their diet, or else they do, like, stop eating because it's kind of gross, compared to the high-fat, high-cholesterol diet, which basically, I'm assuming, tastes like butter. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on here. Um, so you said it's in the in the pith. Is that the? That's the white part of the grapefruit. Okay. Yeah, I was like, the, I was thinking the peel because I'm thinking, okay, you want to recommend that people eat grapefruit, but I don't. Yeah. Eat, I don't eat the peel. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Most people take off the pith. It's pretty gross. <laughs> I mean, I eat the pith. I'm good. Yeah. But it. Um, I know that you work with a some compound that's in grapefruits and another one that's in tangerines and it made me think okay well there's all these different different compounds in the different citrus fruit like is this compound seen in other citrus fruits uh yeah there's actually like a whole class of molecules called flavonoids and these two molecules are from citrus fruits so naringenins from grapefruit and nobilitins from tangerines but there's also flavonoids found in soy products chocolate tea there's all kinds of flavonoids. And the one Sorry, you- what's this chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like I like this treatment. <laughs> um, like the most famous one I think is so the one that's most well studied is found in red wine. And it's a similar molecule and it's called resveratrol. And there's lots of studies looking at resveratrol and its effects on um, cancer as well as cardiovascular disease. Um, I actually I actually know I know a little bit about resveratrol. So that's uh, it's, it's an antioxidant, right? Yeah. Um, so are these other f- flavonoids, um, flavonoids, am I saying flavonoids. that? Flavonoids. Flavonoids. Yeah. Uh, are these other flavonoids antioxidants? I, I believe they probably would have antioxidant characteristics. I mean, we don't have, um, we haven't explicitly tested that ourselves, but I think there's lots of papers that look at that. Mm. Um, the problem with antioxidants, I think, as a therapeutic is that they tend to not translate into vivo very well or in vivo, like into animals as opposed to cells. So I think most antioxidant therapies have not done well. So I think that there's other effects. We do see an effect in our most model, um, and it's an in vivo system. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next. So what are the results of the study? What is this uh, neurinogen doing? So, so far we've shown that it's able to um, completely reverse weight gain. So if we add it to a high-fat diet and the mice are still eating the bad diet but eating naringen and they actually lose weight, not just slow their weight gain, uh, but it doesn't like make them emaciated or anything. They kind of plateaus by the end. We think that it's increasing the oxidation or the um, metabolism of fats predominantly in the liver and that this reduces um, the production of your LDL cholesterol by the liver and that this is why it's lower in the bloodstream. So then when we look at the plaques or the 
um, in the arteries, the plaques, the fatty plaques in the arteries, they actually are, the morphology of them is different. They seem more stable, so they're less likely to rupture, which is one of the things that contributes to heart attacks in people with uh, cardiovascular disease. Does not sound good. <laughs> uh, maybe got to cut out that fast food. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, ideally, that would be the best. Like, I mean, telling people to lose weight is easy, I think. Losing weight is actually hard for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of studies have actually shown that. But if this is helping with that, um, is this something that we could see in clinical trials for humans? I mean, there has been um, short-term trials uh, looking at its effect in humans on looking at whether it lowers their cholesterol, whether it improves their um, type 2 diabetes symptoms. And I mean, the short-term trials are looking promising. They look at people who eat half a grapefruit a day or eat orange juice or drink orange juice every day, and it looks nice. Uh, the problem is that like we don't know any have any studies on like the endpoints, so we don't have any studies on cardiovascular disease. And I think it would be hard to maybe find funding for that because there is no profit in a natural compound. So I don't know mm-hmm. who would fund a study to look at whether this would improve cardiovascular disease. Um, grapefruit growers. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, go to Florida, do a study. Yeah. But I think one of the problems with just having grape, like just drinking a lot of grapefruit juice is that grapefruit juice is known to interfere with other, um, other drug, um, other drugs because it inhibits the, uh, uh inhibits, it's, uh, um, the CYP3A4 enzyme. Yes, it does. So, I mean, we work with the isolated compound when we're doing these studies, so we don't have that problem. Um, and ideally I think I mean, you can get it as a supplement in health food stores. I don't know what the purity of the compound is. I don't know what they're selling it as, but you can get it, Nirenjanin. But, um, yeah, that is a huge problem, especially since one of the most prescribed drugs in the whole world is, like, statins, and that they also use that enzyme. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, to take to drink a lot of grapefruit juice for this effect wouldn't help you probably because you're negating the effect of the statins. Oh yeah, I know I know that for sure is that when you're on a statin, your doctor will tell you please to avoid uh, orange and grapefruit juice. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I I read your I read your abstract before. Um mm-hmm. and I was trying to make sense of some of this. I'm not super familiar. Uh, some of it I I've heard of before. Um and I I read a little bit about something else called triglycerides. And I'm wondering um where what their role is in this in this whole thing going on because you mentioned cholesterol yeah. and maybe um, fat a lot but yeah, uh, so there's what like are a, triglycerides yeah. and why did you measure them um, so triglycerides are kind of your triglycerides are the molecules that make up your fat oh. um, you do get triglycerides that circulate in the bloodstream um, there's some controversy as to whether there is cardiovascular risk associated with triglycerides. Some people think that it's just actually the cholesterol that's in the molecules that carry the triglyceride because there's both both of them are in there. But there's um, some people who think that triglycerides themselves are a direct risk factor. But it's a little bit of a controversy in the literature and for clinical studies, I think that they haven't quite committed to triglycerides being like a causative factor. So um, I think... Uh uh, like many people, uh, I've looked up online, you know, 
different diets and seen a lot of people uh, chipping in with their opinion on different forums and blogs and websites and they and uh, everyone thinks that they have the cure the, they're like trust me I've done this diet it's going to be great do this diet it's, uh, all, it's all just you're just eat cow raw cow <laughs> no juice cleanse juice cleanse oh yeah. there you go <laughs> I, highly alkaline foods oh, there you God. go so, your I mean, body is too acidic there you have it. I mean, there are many, um, you know, diets out there, uh, and we are talking about, you know, potentially mm-hmm. uh, modifying food that you would eat. I mean, maybe grapefruit in this case, um, but we're talking about fats as well when we're talking about heart disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, one that I've stumbled upon um, and I thought was kind of cool and somehow related to my field but intrigued me uh, was something called a very low, very low, very low carb diet. Mm-hmm. But what happens when in those people who eat very low carb is they end up eating fat and protein. So I'm wondering if you know about ket- ketosis, ketogenesis. Ketoacidosis or keto? Yeah, ketosis. Ket- keto be- diet. People wonder, eat, people yeah. eat really low uh, protein. Sorry, really low carb diet. And what yeah. do you think about carbs? And then that's also brings I mean, in yeah. the big <laughs> thing about sugar that was like in the media recently. So... I don't yeah, know. I, I would the, ask you about that. I guess the issue with carbs is that carbs, eventually, if you don't utilize those carbs, they become fat. <laughs> mm. um, I don't know that I like. I think that every everyone needs like a balanced diet. I believe that. Um, I'm not sure that I know exactly. I mean, some things work better for other people because everyone has a different vice. Mm. So I think for people who want to go on a low carb diet, maybe that their vice is carbs. They love carbs. Uh-huh. And so to cut that out really helps them manage their weight because they no longer have all their vices like potato chips and whatever <laughs> whatever else their carbs they eat that they love. But I think that's more that's more likely to be the success of that diet, I think. And so like say you like um say you like like um like high fat treats, like you really like ice cream or you like like to cut that out if you have a low fat diet, that might help you. <laughs> Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you, we were talking about cholesterol a lot, and I am old enough to remember the um, the 80s when there was this huge, huge guffuffle about cholesterol and cutting cholesterol out of your diet. Cholesterol is the worst thing ever, never have anything with cholesterol in it. And it was, you know, now it's sugar, before it was carbs. You know, there's always a trend like that. How, you mentioned though that cholesterol is necessary. Yeah, cholesterol is necessary for humans. The thing is that humans can also make their own cholesterol. Ah, so there I think it is. that if because I remember hearing that I yeah. remember when I learned in first year bio, you know, cholesterol is something that we need. And then I'm like, oh, I'll bring on the eggs or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> no, you actually can make your own cholesterol. So you make enough. You can make enough cholesterol to make all your like steroid hormones or maintain your cell membranes and stuff. And but a lot of people get sort of extra and unnecessary cholesterol from food. Is yes, they do. yes they do. Yes, they do. Hence the, the cholesterol problem. <laughs> ah, I'm getting it now. Thank you. Yeah. So where do you think uh, this research could be going next? Um, uh, you mentioned that it would be hard to do a clinical trial, but could we take a molecule like this one and modify it and make it into some sort of a drug or a therapeutic molecule? I mean, that would be the dream, I guess, because... Um, to have something that you're working on go into a, like a treatment for human disease is very nice and like that's a very nice story 
Uh, the problem with this molecule is actually very difficult to modify. So a lot of drug companies have shied away from it just based on the molecular structure and how difficult it is to maintain the effect of the molecule if they modify it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't be used. I mean, if someone's willing to show that it works in humans, I mean, that would, it could be a complementary treatment to any like lipid-lowering or cardiovascular or cholesterol-lowering drug. You know, uh, we're, we're asking you all these things about, oh, what diet, what, what should we... What should we eat? Please tell us. Give us the answer. Uh, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, I study um, aging, memory, neurodegeneration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people will be like, oh, are you going to cure my grandmother or something like that? You know, they'll, <laughs> or my family, like, have you cured this yet? It, you know, people just, they, they, they know, bre bre you know a little bit about what you study and then they yeah. always pester you. So I'm wondering, like, do you, are you, are you tired of your friends and family asking you what to eat and what's healthy to eat? Do you get that That's a lot? That's funny. No, I don't actually get that a lot. I actually think it's funny because I have one of the pickiest fathers in the whole world. I'm pretty sure he does eats one vegetable. It's peas. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a horrible eater. So it's kind of funny in a way. But no, he doesn't ask me for <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't want to hear what I think he should eat. Um, so uh, you are now in your fifth year of your PhD. Um, so you're finishing up now. Um, what's next for you? Um, I would actually like to stay in research. I've really enjoyed my, my PhD thesis project. I'm working in um, cardiovascular disease. So I think I would like to stay in the cardiovascular disease field. I'm kind of looking at postdocs in a more immunology um, field because I think that will complement the lipid um, aspect or the lipid, lipid biochemistry that I've been learning. And so to have the immunology lipid combo, I think would be uh, pretty marketable and pretty complementary to staying in the cardiovascular disease field. That's really interesting. Um, immunology is really um, exciting right now in terms of um, treatments as well. Like you have a lot of immunotherapies with yes. the antibodies and things. Uh, do you think that could be an application for some of this research? Um, so actually a lot of these lipid disorders do cause like immune disorders or immune or immune responses, I guess not immune disorders, immune responses, which contribute to cardiovascular disease. So it's kind of all, call, kind of all linked in a way um, but for the I mean we have shown that the flavonoids themselves actually re do reduce um, inflammation in all kinds of tissues like the liver and the fat um, which contributes to this disease so hopefully I mean that sounds promising yeah that really combines like a, a new field into it so you might get um, more complete answer to yeah. the problem exactly no it would be really exciting so um very interesting project, uh, really interesting, uh, and it's great to see that it's progressed so well and you've been so successful so far. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, as a kind of a senior PhD student, um, what kind of, uh, looking back on your, your progress, like mm -hmm. what kind of advice can you give to maybe newer students uh, and like, you know, just to your experiences as a grad student at Western? Okay. Um advice for new students I guess I mean make sure that you're really interested in what you want what you've decided to pursue because I think if you're stuck doing a project that you don't you're like kind of half interested in doing I think it's going to make it so much harder um I really liked what I'm working on and I mean I obviously want to continue in this field so that worked out really well for me but don't feel afraid to no, nothing's permanent I feel like everyone gets so stuck in that they're like stuck in this thing um they have to do it and I mean you finish it, you can move on, you can do whatever you want. 
That's a very p- positive outlook. <laughs> I'm a weirdly positive person. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so um, w- what activities um, have you enjoyed at Western or in the London community outside of your PhD? Um, so, I mean, I've lived in London for forever because I did my undergrad here nine years. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a pretty avid rock climber, so I climb at Junction Climbing Center pretty regularly, like probably three times a week. I've been on some rock climbing trips recently, which was a lot of fun. Um, I also like going to shows at London uh, Music Hall. It's a pretty nice venue now. I remember right before it was renovated, and it was pretty crappy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, London's a nice city to be a grad student. I think everything's um, it's smaller, so it's not it doesn't have the same problems as like Toronto and stuff, where your cost of living is so high. Um, that it's almost unsustainable to be a graduate student and be on a graduate student um, stipend. But London's a nice place to do grad school. I've enjoyed it. So you're a pro rock climber now? I wouldn't say I'm a pro, but I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> um, and that, and, and uh, talking about the graduate student stipend, I understand that you uh, won an award for your research and, um, and got some funding from that. Yeah, um, so the last three years of my research have been funded by the Canadian Diabetes Association. So this is a um, um, private charity, I guess, or a charity that um, does fund research. They fund um, research related to diabetes. So because cardiovascular disease is um, a complication of diabetes, I've been funded, lucky to be funded by the CDA for the last three years. That's excellent. It's, uh, It's tough to find funding these days, so that's really great that you won that. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I can feel feel the pressure, uh, and I think a lot of labs are feeling that. You know, yes. when you're doing study, I mean, I, a lot of the pressure is on the PI to find the funding, but I mean, it trickles down to the students where they're like having to <laughs> make do with certain devices and do things yeah, on the cheap. <laughs> I definitely see that a lot, and especially um, just in just in recent years, I've noticed that like. Everyone questions whether to buy something, even though it'll help them so much. And like everyone has to like completely validate what the like purchase of anything. And it's it's kind of frustrating, but I mean, it's kind of made Canadian scientists kind of creative. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't have money thrown at everything, so kind of kind of, kind of come to creative solutions for um, problems or research questions. Uh, were, were there any like circumstances where you had to do an experiment with your mice uh, and uh, you didn't really want to? buy that, you know, thousands of dollar a, a device that you saw in the newest, coolest nature <laughs> methods paper or whatever, and then you were like, hmm, how can I MacGyver this? And your professor was like, okay, uh, let's do it. And then you just made do with what you had. Oh, I've made do with what I've had. I've had some funny, I like saw this really cool study and I was like, oh, we could totally do this. We can totally do this. And I didn't take into consideration the number of authors that were on this paper. So I decided I was going to do it for me and about four other people. And it was resulted in a lot of not sleep for a lot of people for about a month. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> well, what was that? What did you guys do? Uh, we just, we just, we just decided to do an experiment on, I think what, I think what they did originally was do each individual t- each individual tissue separately. But I was like, oh, well, we have one mouse and who has all of these tissues. We can do all of them at one time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It, it required some carefully orchestrated timing for everyone to work together to do it. But it worked out. I think kind of get you kind of work with what you have. Um, sounds like you had a whole team going there, you know. You had a whole, yeah. Uh, Actually, my whole lab ended up helping with this experiment. We even almost 
probably could have convinced my boss to do it, even though he hasn't been in the lab in, like, I'm going to say, number of years. <laughs> but he didn't have to, so it was good. Well, it sounds like you have a really nice lab environment. Yeah, it's been really fun to work with my lab, and I really enjoy everyone who's been in my lab, and as well as my supervisor's been very kind to me, and I really enjoy working with him. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm I'm kind of a new student, and uh, I'm you know things are getting busy, and I'm getting <laughs> a lot of work to do uh, more and more every day. I find myself sometimes getting spread thin, yes. um, and uh, I thought you know maybe I can recruit some uh, undergraduate students to help mm-hmm. me help me with my work. Um, and I thought I was thinking you know how would I do that? How would I how do I how would I manage the project by getting other people to help? Have you been in a circumstance where you've had um, you know other people do work for you? And you know, I've what- had undergraduate students. I mean, I think they, they require a lot of work at the beginning, but then I think once they've got gotten their project and got gotten the the um, the knowledge or the know how to do it, it, it does end up being worth it to have someone help you out. <laughs> And it's great. You can pass that knowledge and that learning on to the next generation and get someone else excited about (laughs) research, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I've had some very talented students help me, and, like, it's been great. Um, I also like to kind of – it kind of helps you to, as well, understand what you're working on to have to teach someone else about it who doesn't know about it at all, right? Like, I think it helps you kind of look at it a different way as well as explain it in a different way that maybe you hadn't thought of because they don't have the same background as you. Yeah, and then I find, like, when I'm teaching someone something and they ask me a question and I don't know, and I'm like, oh, I thought I knew that. I'll, I'll go yeah. look it up, and then I exactly. know it even better. So Yeah, no, it's been a really, I really like actually looking after or, like, teaching undergraduate students. So do you think you'll be a professor? I mean, that would be the absolute dream, but um, who knows? I want to stay in research for sure. So, I mean, it's hard to say where, where you'll end up at this point. Um, I mean, I would love to, like, come back to Canada after doing a postdoc somewhere and just have a lab, but I don't know if that's going to be the what happens. We'll see. Cool. Yeah, I live the dream. You know, they. Um, I'm back to the having students. You know, they say like the you really you you know you really know something when you're able to teach it to someone else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, you see one, do one, teach one. That's like the whole spectrum of. There you go. Wow, what a what a what a great life lesson to end <laughs> on, uh, and hopefully some other grad students that are. Also considering taking on help, uh, heed your advice. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're coming to the end here. I'm just going to wrap up. Um, so you've been listening to GradCast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, our website is gradcast.ca. Um, you can find us on iTunes, uh, podcast, wherever kind of podcasts are. We're going to expand, ever-expanding. Um, uh, if you want to come on the show, uh, you can email us at gradcast at gradcast at gmail.com or gradcastradio at gmail.com try both please (laughs) Um, and we'd be glad to have you thanks